You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Welcome back to part two of our interview with guitarist Jerry Leonard. Let's talk about your writing a little bit. You weren't always a writer. I get this impression that you were kind of dragged kicking and screaming to the writer's desk. Yeah. Laurie Anderson, of all people, really encouraged you to start writing more, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. And why her? What, what did she tell you that got you going? Well, I, I got to know Laurie when I came to New York. My one friend in New York was Kevin Killen, who's a great producer engineer. And we'd worked in Lombard Studios back in Dublin together. That's how far, that's how long I know Kevin. We were tape ops together. And he went on to do the Peter Gabriel Soul record, Kate Bush records, Elvis Costello, U2. Oh, yeah, Kevin like, Killen, real he, big. Donald really, Lewis as well. Donald Lewis, really great engineer and mixed our record, the Hinterland record. But um, Kevin was working with Laurie Anderson, and I guess Laurie had a little place studio down on Canal Street. And, you know, they were working up some tracks, and she needed a guitar player. And Kevin said, I know a guy. He's just come here. His name's Jerry. You wanna? So I came down to play on a track. I came down with my little box of tricks and a guitar and we, we Laurie and I just hit it off and she asked me to come down the next day and play on another track I ended up on seven tracks on the bright red record Holy on, cow. On, on Laurie's record and so we stayed in touch and she was just always so uh, such a champion and so when I started writing spooky ghost stuff I'd say can I play it for you and she said yeah come over so I'd come over and I'd bring her some scones I'd make scones and we'd have tea and and uh, I'd play her like a spooky ghost track and she'd be like this is fantastic, Jerry. It just needs words. And so I had a mixed reaction to that. I was like, well, no, Laurie, these are instrumentals. And, and anyway, I don't feel like I have anything to say. And she'd say, Jerry, I bet you you have a lot to say. Mm. And then there was one day I was down there. I was like, I just have a block about writing songs. And she said, why? And she started pulling out these poetry books and let's do a song right now. And she totally made me to write a song with her right there and then. And she showed me all this, just to kind of like get me out of this, you know, I guess I had a block about it where I felt like I couldn't do it. And she, she, she got me past it and I, and I wrote a couple of songs. So the first Spooky Ghost record has about four or five songs with lyrics. And I realized it could be anything that I wanted it to be. That was the beauty of Spooky Ghost. So some of the songs have a verse, some, ver some have two verses, some are just four lines. It didn't really matter. But to use that as an element, it's really interesting to put words to music or music to words. So it became this other like part on the palette. And uh, it's still hard for me to finish a song. It's not my it's not my go to. And I love melodies and I love instrumentals. I listen to a lot of classical music and uh, like guys like Arvo Part. I just I, I could listen to that music all day long. Estonian composer, if anybody hasn't heard him, his music is incredible. So Laurie helped me um, write a song. <laughs> and it was another aspect of your craft. You yeah. do well, and yeah. you've developed over time. Otherwise, David Bowie would not be co-writing songs with you, for example. He was a big champion of, like, I would play some solo shows when I was on the road with David, and I'd always ask him, because I felt it was courteous to ask, and I'd say, David, we have a day off tomorrow, and I have a show. Uh, would that be okay? And, and he was like, sure. He's, he hit this thing, oh, you're working. And or he'd, he'd say to me the next day, so you, so you were working yesterday. How did it go? <laughs> and I'd be like, working. Oh, yeah, the gig. Right? <laughs> um, and he came to a couple of sh shows, too, we were once in Austin. So, again, so very supportive. Very supportive. Very supportive. Like, be an artist. Do your thing. Write your stuff. Get it out there. 
uh, take care of your publishing, which I'm still really bad about, but he was always, he was on me about that stuff. Uh, it's nice to know that people of his caliber are giving a chance to somebody who's not quite on that level and encouraging them to write and yeah. helping them and, and kind he of gave me I asked him for a quote for my for my second record the light machine and he he gave me this beautiful quote I, I think he listened to it I think he did and uh, he was very supportive you know a huge music fan so I'm sure he didn't have it on like in his car because he doesn't even have a car he didn't even have a car but I always talk about David in the present tense so forgive me for that but I I'll, I don't know it just seems right somehow well he's ubiquitous still yeah 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 but he gave me a beautiful quote so he he was supportive of it I think he saw so that it was artistic and maybe it's certainly not chart songs that I do you know it's I just write the music that I think is right and hopefully it resonates with people well he's not the only one to champion your writing Suzanne Vega who you were also musical director for yeah also champion your music you co-wrote an entire album worth of songs with her yeah and she's a world-class songwriter this is Suzanne yeah. Vega yeah and she's trusting you to co-write everything on her album that what is the strangest album title too is uh uh wait hang on let me get it right yeah uh, Tales from the Queen of Pentacles. Tales from the Realm. Oh, I'm sorry. Tales from the Realm of the Queen of Pentacles. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, you got it. What's got the, it. What does that title mean, by well, the way? So she was, you know, she was writing a new record. And, you know, Suzanne's an incredible writer. Um, Absolutely. And she had this whole, I think she was going through a phase where she was really reading a lot about the tarot and the imagery. She was very interested in the imagery. She loved the cards, the tactile nature of them, and the the kind of the mythology of it all. So I think when she was writing her songs, she was finding that, you know, some of these elements were, were tying in this more kind of journeyman or journey woman or on the on the path it's like the fool on the path you know in this mythology so there's a lot of songs have references to to those those kind of ideas what's it really like being a musical director i mean what uh, it's probably different in everybody's band but what kind of responsibilities did you have in suzanne's band yeah so it depends on the artist it's really about figuring out what the artist's strengths are and where what they need and then shoring up all the things so with Suzanne, it's very much about uh, if she's got a new project to do or she gets asked to do something, it's, it's very often passed over to me and then I can help them figure it out. So if we say, for instance, if we did an obvious one would be, let's say, we're going to do some orchestral concerts. So I'll round up all the charts and I'll see which ones, you know, but a lot of those things are string charts. So I'll bring it to an arranger. We actually use Carl Berger up here in Woodstock. Carl's an incredible arranger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, grow them into proper orchestral arrangements and then go and work with the conductor and then liaise with Suzanne and and rehearse with her and then bring her to the rehearsals with the conductor. And, you know, she gets she could get a little flustered or whatever she feels. She comes from a folk background. Yes. So she would feel a little intimidated by like somebody who's like a a conductor. Those people are incredible musicians in the scope of what they can do and I feel nervous talking to them but at least I can speak a little bit of that language and help everybody so help everybody get the job done from from A to B if we go on tour I'll work with the tour 
manager and I'll work with the artist and I'll work on the repertoire and I'll work on the arrangements. And then if we use a band, I'll help pick the band, make suggestions on that, talk to the band, get everybody's charts, book the rehearsals, make sure all that stuff goes. So when Suzanne comes, we're ready to just hit it with the songs, help m make all those decisions. And, uh, and then on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, run the sound checks, uh, help her with the set list. And then if there's radio stuff to be done or TV stuff or anything like that, just, you know, deal with the radio people or the TV people or whatever it is. So there's lots, to yeah. <laughs> lots of little bits. Lots of little things. She's yeah. got a lot of great songs. I always liked In Liverpool was one of my uh, favorites. Yeah. I remember buying that album when it first came out, and that song just leaped right out at me. It's yeah. so different than the rest of the songs on the album. It's not as techno as the rest of the stuff yeah. on the album. Yeah. It's got such a beautiful melody, haunting. Yeah, and you know, there, it's interesting you say that because that song, Liverpool, if you, if you, can, if you listen to it or, or condense it down, she can play that on her acoustic. She's a very interesting way of playing the guitar. She can sit with an acoustic guitar and play that song, capoed up at 7th fret of where she has it, and it'll sound exactly like that song. And so I think Mitchell Froome produced that record. Yes, he did. And a lot of the stuff like Blood Makes Noise and stuff was, you know, that came much more from a lyric-based Suzanne, uh, you know, that whole, the way, the rhythm of her words and the way she, that, which is also an incredible song. But something like Liverpool is, is more like The Queen and the Soldier or Gypsy, where she can play that on her guitar in a kind of folk style and yet it has this kind of moder modernity about it mm -hmm, if i could say mm -hmm. that modernity yeah sure. queen and the soldier by the way you just reminded me of another uh, brilliant tune I yeah mean, what a powerful song that powerful is. song uh, yeah to build a story like that uh, yeah. and, and tell the story and have a beginning middle and end yeah she's great at it yeah i saw a clip of the two of you this was really special it was just the two of you playing together it was on NPR's Tiny Desk Concert Series. Oh, yeah. Which is a really popular and cool idea. Yeah. And it was her big hit, Luca. Yeah. I want to play that right now. In fact, one of the things I like about having a podcast is I can say, let's play this, and it just materializes out of the air. Amazing. So do you mind if we play that? Please do. All right, this is Suzanne Vega, Jerry Leonard, Luca. Second floor, I live upstairs from you. Yes, I think you've seen me before. If you hear something late at night, some kind of trouble, some kind of fight, just don't ask me what it was. Just don't ask me what it was. Just don't ask me what it was. I think it's cause I'm clumsy I try not to talk too loud Maybe it's because I'm crazy I try not to act too proud And they only hit until you cry After that, you don't ask why You just don't argue anymore You just don't argue anymore 
just don't argue anymore. Yes, I think I'm okay. I walked into the door again. If you ask, that's what I'll say It's not your business anyway I guess I'd like to be alone With nothing broken, nothing thrown Just don't ask me how I am Just don't ask me how I am Just don't ask me how I am My name is Luca I live on the second floor I live upstairs from you Yes, I think you've seen me before If you hear something late at night Some kind of trouble, some kind of fight Just don't ask me what it was Just don't ask me what it was Just don't ask me only hit until you cry After that, you don't ask why Just don't argue anymore Just don't argue anymore Just don't argue so cool you know I, I never I never played so quiet in my entire life when I when we did that tiny desk well I notice you have such a light touch when you play anyway you kind of <laughs> glide over the strings I've noticed yeah. and and that head that you're playing I call it the head because it appears like at the beginning of each verse or something yeah I don't notice that on the studio version of the song is that something that you added or she asked you to add you know uh, yeah, she's, she trusts me now. I mean, that's another thing I feel as a musician when I work with the artists is, you, you know, when you gain the artist's trust and you they realize that you're on their side, then they're more open to your arrangemental stuff. Mm -hmm. So very often with Suzanne, because it's just a duo, I'll, I'll try and uh, really reference the original song and all the parts there. But sometimes I need to add something more structural or something just to, to tie it together. Or I'm bringing out a part that's, you know, there somewhere, but you don't really hear it. So I, I can't say for sure exactly what you're referring to. So, but it might be something that I that I added. Yeah, it was just like a little uh, melodic figure after the first verse, and then after the second verse, it was mm. almost kind of bridges the the gap between the verses in a way. Yeah. And it was just such a cool light figure that I mean, you it, it looked almost like improv, but you mm. played the same riff every time. Yeah, sometimes I cop there's a little uh, background vocal part melody that I'll play or something. So I'll try and bring in things that are there and, and make them part of the arrangement. Well, we've talked about your guitar playing. We've talked about your writing. Let's talk about your producing. 
Mm. One of the first things that Pamela Sue Mann, your lovely wife, who was here last week, and we had a great time. She's a great yes. artist in her own right. Uh, one of the first things she ever had uh, produced for her was something you produced. Mm -hmm. I believe it's how you guys met, or at least somewhere in that the beginning uh, yeah, you guys know yeah, each other, it's right? true. We we uh, we got introduced uh, to a mutual friend and fell in love, and now we're married and living in the Hudson Valley. You know, she was a songwriter and she was working on so, uh, some new material, and we ended up doing a record together. And it's you really guys beautiful. have worked a lot together. Uh, I I hear your your guitar playing on a lot of her material. Yeah, I love playing on Pam's stuff. A and what is it about Pam's stuff that that draws you to it? I, I, I mean, it's I, really a wonderful yeah. material. I, I myself. I'm really impressed with it because it's got a, a, a quiet intensity about it that I really like. Yeah, I think, you know, Pam's a beautiful songwriter and uh, she's not afraid of her imagination and, and to take a chance. So the songs, I think, always have this, they're like little worlds in a sense, her songs. That's the way I see them. I love collaborating on, on people's songs and, and adding the guitar to them and finding what's really quirky about the song and trying to highlight those you know sometimes just to me it's already there it's just nobody's saying it and I can bring out the highlighter pen and and take it out and put it on my guitar and bring it into the song and people feel it say oh it sounds like it was always there and I'm yeah. like yeah it kind of was always there <laughs> it's like uh, picking an apple off a tree you know you just reach up and grab it and she gives me a lot you know she's also she gives me a lot of freedom in that department which is also like it's very enticing as a musician to be invited to just kind of like do your brush stroke on the painting, you know, and not feel like there's somebody going to correct you. <laughs> How much of your producing style have you gleaned from other producers you work with? Maybe Kevin Killen, maybe Tony Visconti, for example. Yeah, you're always learning. I, I learned so much. I mean, I, learned, I feel like I, I this incredible opportunity as I worked as a guitar player I would work with a lot of engineers and producers and I was always learning new new things because everybody's coming from a different school and whether there are simple things like mic techniques maybe not so simple things like mic techniques or you know the way to work with an artist or the way to 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 search for a part or the way to break up a, a, a creative block so I learned a lot from Kevin um, we did a lot of sessions together and I've learned a lot. He's, his method is, he's an incredible hard worker and is a beautiful method. I'm much more chaotic, so I learned a lot of, about being calmer and being a little bit more organized and a little more structural from Kevin. Uh, Tony's a very inspired producer and really works well with the artist. That's a great quality if you're working with people to make them feel comfortable and to be able to bring out that magic performance you know do you write string parts like tony does i i write a little bit i'm not as schooled or as a as a prolif um, competent or inspired maybe as as tony is but i do i do enjoy it uh, i'm i'm fascinated with the string thing so i, I have a little process where I, i've written some simple i don't regard myself as an arranger per se but i'll have mm -hmm. a go at it you know are you the producer of Spooky Ghost? Yeah, yeah. Although the second record I did, uh, The Light the Machine, light machine. I, I had my friend Paul Bryan produce it. And that was the smartest move I ever made. It was so such a joy. And he brought so much to the table uh, because he kind of got me out of my own way. And 
it was it was so much easier to work with him. So the first record I did by myself, it does it brings a certain focus, but it's also great to have the right person with you, working with you, to have a brother in arms. I no mean, doubt, it's, it's amazing. So I really like that album, The Light Machine. That's a really good album. Oh, thank you. It, it's got. Uh, I like the way it's produced. I like the songs. Uh, you, you're the one who does all the singing on it, right? Yeah. I mean, you're the you're the lead singer. Yeah some really good vocals. It reminds me a little bit, not so much the material as the style of playing of Jeff Buckley a little bit. Were, were you a Jeff Buckley fan at all? Yeah, I, I was. Um, I wouldn't say he's somebody that I've studied or anything like that, but I did see him play in Cheney a couple of times just with his guitar and, and and his incredible voice. Because you have the range for that kind of material. You can sing really high, and you've got these long, laconic lines yeah. like he would have. And, of yeah. course, your guitar playing, you, you can go any place with that. And he was you know, a very adept uh, guitar player. Yeah. So some people said he was Robert Plant and Jimmy Page combined. Right, right. Yeah, he had this, I mean, in, in insanely beautiful voice, but then this raw edge that was yes, it was really powerful, really powerful. And I believe uh, Gary Lucas played some guitar on that record, the, the Grace record. Grace, yeah. And Gary's playing is really interesting, and he does some ethereal stuff on that that I really identify with. So that would have been an influence on me any guy any of those guys that play like that i'm i'm uh, my ear always goes to it like oh that's such, such a beautiful sound there's an emotional texture i think to emotional component to those kind of the, the textures and the ambience Def and definitely music. and i hear you know, th that's what i'm hearing on on uh, the light machine yeah on your album is yeah. that kind of emotionality of of the music you know it was a big inspiration for that record for me was the talk talk spirit of eden record I that's don't a brilliant record a brilliant lot of people record. don't know that record yeah when i was yeah. 15 I had my dental hygienist turn me on to that album. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> All people. And I'm glad that she did. And people hear the word Talk Talk in America, especially, I guess, that they're not that well known. They had yeah. It's My Life was their big hit in like 84, yeah. 85. And then No Doubt did a cover of it. And everyone thinks it's a No Doubt song. Yeah. But it's Talk yeah. Talk. They were ahead of their time, I thought. Yeah. And they're very brave to make that record. I got that record, I was in the airport. We'd just gotten signed to Island Records and the manager said, you guys are going to be busy. You guys should take a holiday. So myself and my partner, Donal, we were like went to a travel agent in Dublin and bought this ticket to a resort. And we were in the airport and I bought that cassette. I'm, I'm a Walkman at the time. So now I had a record deal. I had a you know, 20 packet of cigarettes. I had and a, a Walkman. A Walkman and I could <laughs> buy a tape in the airport. And, and I played that tape on the trip the whole time and I fell in love with that record. And that, that is the record, The Spirit of Eden, that had an influence on your Light Machine album. Yeah, yeah, very, very much interesting. so. Very interesting. I didn't very know much that. So. And then when I, you know, I, that record also, there's a link. I, I was getting myself kind of established in New York. I started working with Duncan Sheik, an American great songwriter, Absolutely. great singer-songwriter. And he was having a hit with Barely Breathing at the time, and he needed a guitar player. So I, ca I met Duncan, and I started playing with Duncan. And... I remember I've been over at his house and I found this record. I was like, you know this record? Because nobody knew that record. And he's like, yeah, I love this record. And I was like, this is my favorite record. And we just bonded straight away. Wow. We made like four or five records together after that. <laughs> and I recorded that record in Duncan's loft. He had this beautiful loft down in, uh, in, um, in Tribeca. And he had a studio there. 
and so he just gave us the loft for like a weekend and we uh we we set up camp there and we recorded that record kind of talk talk style we did everything live and we did a couple of overdubs afterwards but a lot of it is is live well i'd love to play something right now off of the light machine one of my favorite songs on the album is start again you mind if we play that please do this is jerry leonard and his band spooky ghost this is from a great album called the light machine this is start again peace is lost it's me Now we've hit the ceiling All said and all is done Here goes start again You better
Jerry, I just ha I've made a list. I have it right here. I don't mind even just crinkling this paper so people hear. I've I got love this. lists. <laughs> My favorite. The only way I can get anything done. I make lists all the time. I, I've got. I can't keep them in my head anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm too old for that. But this list is of uh, people that you have been sideman for, for lack of a better word, sideman. They still use that. They do. They? I mean, uh, yeah, they do in America. They, we say sideman. There's know. certain people I want to stop and make a comment on, but I mean, we're talking about Avril Lavigne and Sophie B. Hawkins and Rufus Wainwright. Of course, you got Duncan Sheik on the list. And look at this. You did some soundtrack work on a movie, The Real Mimsy. This was music written by Roger Waters. Did you work directly with Roger? You know, that was a New York moment for sure. I was in my house. I was on Monday and I got a call and it was like... I cleared my schedule because my friends were making a movie and they'd asked me to do the music and I finally had cleared my week and I was like, I was, somebody called me and I was bothered. I was like, oh, this is somebody who wants me to come and play on their whatever. And uh, I called the number and the lady is the fixer for the orchestra and uh, Sandy Parks and she goes, uh, we have a session here tomorrow and uh, Roger Waters has written the closing song for this movie and Steve Gadd's going to be playing drums and and Howard Shore is the composer and we're wondering if you're free to come down and play guitar and I was like <laughs> what time is the session again? <laughs> so the next day I'm down in a huge studio in New York I brought all my guitars and whatnot loaded up the car and and Steve Gadd's there and uh, and then and then Roger Waters walks in and wow. Howard Shore's there and Holy he's the orchestrator and uh, and uh, Henry Hay was there as a piano player actually and um, I ended up working for two days. And the guy, um, James, not going to think of his second name, but he did all the engineering on all the Pink Floyd records. And he does all Gilmore stuff and he does all Roger's stuff. Huh. So he was like, he was like, they were running two 24 track tape machines uh, in sync, old school, and triple tracking everything. And uh, we, I did cow. guitars. And they, they used a ton of it on the record. That had to be surreal. It was surreal. You know, I don't know what inspired me, but I, I didn't really know what to do. So I brought a box of Barry's tea. Now, tea, Barry's tea is Irish black tea, breakfast tea, but it's very, very good. Hmm. Anybody who likes tea should seek it out. I, I like Guinness. I, I like Guinness. Yeah. Yeah, that's for later in the day. Okay, all right. <laughs> this you is got to like have something at 9 a.m. Yeah, okay. This when you, you this when you're still earning those Guinness. Fair enough. You know, and during the day. And so I brought the box of tea down and... I was hanging with Steve Gadd. I'd never met him before. Beautiful man. And uh, he wanted some tea. I was like, I got this tea. And then Roger comes in. And everybody's flapping around Roger. Because, you know, Roger comes in, coattails, swishing. And, <laughs> and then it's kind of like, can we get you anything? Can we get you anything? And he's like, oh, fuck, I want a cup of builder's tea. <laughs> and everybody's looking around like, what the hell is he talking about? And I know exactly what he means. Builder's tea is like, it's Irish-English expression for this kind of tea really strong builders tea it's this tea that they make on the building site so they reboil the water i mean it's so i was like i got the tea so <laughs> we, had a, we made with sandy and and we made the tea and she was like oh thank god you brought this tea and we brought him a cup of builders tea and he was as happy as larry so the tea worked it's funny the tea and the scones i don't know what it is wow that's a great tradition <laughs> it, it seems to, to get you far but we got to play on the on the track, and uh, they used a ton of this guitar. We did we did lots of guitar, and uh, when I heard the track later, I was like, "Wow, they used they used a lot of it," you know. 
I have Donna Lewis on this list as well. You've worked extensively with Tommy, her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As uh, Pamela has also worked with her in Queentown. I can't believe next week they're coming on the show, Queentown. I'm so yeah, excited. Brilliant. Well, and Donna, you were on her big hit, uh, yeah. I Love You Always and Forever. Yeah. Is this the biggest hit, smash hit, that you were ever on? I think so. I mean, that's the track that I'll be in the oddest of places at the oddest hour, and I'll hear it come on. You know, it's one of those songs. I, I hear it around it's the world. everywhere. And it just comes on. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's Donna. And, and I play the, you know, these little harmonic things in the choruses and... But Donna was down in New York. She'd gotten signed. They, they'd started making the record with a producer and it hadn't been working. And Kevin Killen got the job to try and fix this session. And they'd spent all the money on this other fancy producer in fancy studios who were in, who were in Shelter Island, which is actually Steve, uh, Steve Adabo, uh, Suzanne Vega's people. They produced Suzanne's first two records. But Kevin was like... He needed somebody cheap, and he called me, and uh, I came. I came and played guitar on the, on the record, and it turned out to be a number one. Smash. I mean, you hear that song everywhere. For the last twenty five years, you've heard that on the radio. They still yeah. play it. They still play it. It's beautiful. Yeah, and well deserved. She's a beautiful singer. And Absolutely. And I got to produce a record for Donna. Then later, we you know we remained friends, and I played on her second record. And then after I moved up here, we made a record. She had all these demos and half-finished things, and I helped her finish the record. I mean, producing is something that I think as we grow older as musicians, uh, you know, it's good to be able to wear different hats. And I, I'm interested in all of those areas. I'm, in, I'm fascinated with recording. I'm fascinated with, with then making that snapshot, which becomes a record, and how to imbue life into a, an otherwise pretty static situation. And it really is a snapshot of a time period or of a moment, yeah. in a way, a song, yeah. and particularly a production of that song, because you're trying to perfect those little nuances about it that, that give you what you remember about that day or about that yeah, moment. Yeah, I think it's about making it so it's sonically, and it, it's got this personality, and, and, it, and it kind of imbues the song with 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 a certain amount of color and texture it just helps the listener and i love that craft we have another name on this list this really surprised me is chris body yeah and chris body for those who don't know is a jazz trumpet player and do you play jazz yourself <laughs> you know i only play jazz by accident that's what i always say about jazz but um isn't all a jazz by accident <laughs> You know, uh, Chris, I, I got to know Chris early on when I moved to New York, and, and he's such a good guy, and he was he loved my guitar playing. For some reason, he loved my guitar playing, and he was always trying to get me work. He was like, you need to get a beeper and do jingles, and be, you know, he was always trying to get me work and get me working on the scene, and I appreciated that. And then they had a little bit of a rotating cast for his band. Uh, Mark Schulman was one of his guitar players, and so... I was kind of like on the bench in, in Chris Bodie world. And when, when one of those guitar players couldn't make it, they, he'd asked me to, to come. So I played on his records a little bit, and then I played a few live gigs. It was, it was daunting for me to play, because you're right. It's jazz, and it's in a different idiom than oh, it's a whole different world. And so I had to work very, very hard to make it through the gig mm -hmm. <laughs> not, and not go off on my own tangent. But he loved what I did and he was supportive. So I, what can I say? I, I mean, I, I'm so thankful for people who have 
who've just kind of given me the opportunity. Absolutely, and, and you deserve it. And I can understand why they all gravitated toward your style of playing because not only is it very professional and very good, I mean, it sounds great, but it's also very unique and you can't just get that out of any guitar player. Right, right. You know, and it's they're also getting the benefit of everything you've done before them and all of your experience as a producer, all your experience as a guitar player. Speaking of guitar playing, bringing it back full circle, how much do you rely on your equipment to do what you do? Obviously, you're a great guitar player. You can pick up a guitar right now in the room and just play it and it'll sound great. But based on some of the special needs of your style, how reliant are you on equipment to pull that off? I love the aspects that these various little boxes can do. Dist you know, effects, people call them effects, but like a distortion or an echo or a reverb. Like they're the basic building blocks. But if when you, you put those in certain combinations, you can kind of create things. So how reliant am I on them? Well, on a good day, when everything gets off the airplane and we get it to the gig and the power is okay and it sounds good, it's really fun to play with that in a room with an artist like, say, Suzanne Vega or David Bowie or whatever, where they real singers with real songs and you're playing that, the accompaniment to them and you're using the space because it's very stripped down. And so I've got my little boxes and whatever and my control system and I can make this arrangement appear and it's very satisfying for me, the artist and the audience. But, you know, things happen. For instance, I was on the road, as I often am, with Suzanne, and she got a gig opening for Bob Dylan. She's a huge Dylan fan, so she was psyched. So we went up to Norway. We flew from Birmingham, and we flew up to uh, Bergen, Norway, to open for Dylan. Because Suzanne had a gig in the same town on the same night, and the local promoter said, well, why not have them on the same stage? And Dylan doesn't normally have openers, but... He respects Suzanne, so it was kind of a big deal. It was a big deal for us. I would say. So I get to the gig, and we get we, well, we get to the airport, waiting for the stuff to come off. And I have this little guitar rig that's built into three these Pelican cases. They're kind of bulletproof cases, but they're small enough to go on the airplane. So I have my guitar, and the three cases. Case one comes out, case two comes out, case three never comes out. Mm. And it's that moment where it's kind of like, well, we got to go, sound check. And I'm like, don't have my stuff. So we drive there and everybody's like calling like, yeah, it, by the way, we never found it, never appeared. Oh, never. But so I'm there and I'm missing like, so it's like a little puzzle that goes through in the three cases. I have some controllers and I have some top layer stuff, but I don't have my loopers and I don't have certain, I'm, I'm totally out of my comfort zone. But we call ahead and I'm like, well, can you get me an echo and a fuzz box and a, a volume pedal? And they did because you know it was such a big gig in that whole town they scrambled they got me these three bits of gear and i re just rewired the gig the stuff right there on soundcheck and we and i figured out a new way to play those arrangements and we played the arrangements and and that's the one dylan came out to he came out to the soundboard and, and, and watched our soundcheck and wow got to see him for a second and i'm like great this is the time i got to see dylan all my <laughs> stuff is somewhere but that's what that's what happens so was it as good to me, no. Would the people who have never seen it before have noticed? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe some guitar players out there going, he's, he's acting a bit weird. But Suzanne was fine. She did, she did her thing. We made it sound good, and uh, we did the thing. So in a perfect world, I love to have the stuff. 
in certain things that people would ask me to do requires certain little it's like having a little mini recording studio at your feet mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. because you can create I grab little sections of the song and then I'll next time it comes around like when I'm playing with Suzanne we're doing left to center I'm playing the accompaniment but I'm I'm recording the whole thing on the, on the verse and then it goes into the solo and I hit loop on the on the verse plays and then I play a solo over it and then I kill the loop and I raise it and she goes back to singing and I go back to playing and then in the outro I do something similar so on a song like that when I'm playing with her on I'm looping and erasing maybe two or three times during the whole song. But to the audience, it's just very seamless. And it doesn't suddenly like, if I go to play a solo, where did the rhythm guy go? You know, yeah. so I get to be my own rhythm guitar player. Man, when I play guitar, I just play it. I, I, I don't have to worry about any of that. I don't, Good for I, you. It's just, uh, Good for you. A, an opening for Bob Dylan would be way out of my comfort zone, <laughs> just on its own. Like a lot of musicians, Jerry, you've been out of work because of this whole COVID-19 thing and yeah. forced to stay at home and either create or not create. Musicians are varied, so some of them do, some of them don't. You have been busy at home working on some material, right? Yeah, there is a little project that has come out of this, yeah. You call it Viral Times? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. Right, so we had the... Luxury, I mean, I live upstate. We we were down in the city, though my daughter was trying to get into a performing arts high school down there, so we, we were kind of hunkered down in this little studio apartment down there. We, we were able to scurry back up to New York. So the first days of the lockdown, so now we're in the Hudson Valley, and it's, you know, this beautiful countryside. Total confusion as to what's going on. And one of my routine things that I like to do is I'll, I'll go for a, a run in the morning. I don't, I, I'm not a marathon runner or anything like that, but I'll do like three miles or something like that. It's somewhere where I, I do some thinking. And the other thing that I, I really tried to be disciplined about was picking up my guitar and playing every day. So I had this combination of this little kind of meditation run in the mornings and then my guitar practice. And then I was building another guitar. I'm always building guitar rigs, but I'm building this other guitar rig that I'm really enjoying, and it's very, it's very ambient. So I was practicing and playing with this rig, and I found these pieces of music. Like I'd create, start creating these loops and textures, and they're very unique. And I was like, I started recording them, and then I would just record them and put them away, kind of like in the artist way when they have the pages thing where they just say, you know, just. Uh, for people who don't know, it's the artist ways. It's a, like a book that somebody wrote to help people get past the creative block right. that we all suffer from as artists, writers, whatever. All of us. So one of it was, you know, you just write pages and you don't read them. You just put them away. So I would make these recordings and put them away. And then at a certain point, I was I started to listen back to some of them, and I was like, you know, I need to bring these into focus. And it felt like I wanted to produce something, you know, make something, but I didn't feel like making my new record and singing songs and it just seems like such a weird time so it was very specific to this kind of lockdown and i felt like well this might be useful for people because we all need music and we all need to kind of you know get away from the news cycle and everything like that so the the idea of the music is that it's kind of meditative and it's kind of it's it's instrumental so you can have your own narrative it's somewhat ambient but i think it's compositional um, there are four to seven minute pieces so you could sit and do a, some people like I, when I'm if I do a meditation I like it to be silent that's me but some people like to have music 
or maybe you're working or something, maybe or you're driving. Or a chant of some sort. Or a chant or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like a soundtrack to whatever you would want to do. And I thought, well, maybe they could be useful. So I produced it all at home, and I mastered it at home, and I got it up on Spotify all by myself, which is a huge <laughs> enterprise for someone like me, <laughs> and put it out there. And, and the response has been really, really great. Very small fan base, but I actually sold a bunch of it, and uh, people responded really well to it. And I've made some... Now, I've had some friends make videos so I can put it up on YouTube, so it's kind of a little bit more of a, a visual and an audio thing. And I'm working on volume two. So it's, it's just something that's resonated with me, and um, I'm enjoying it. Well, it sounds cool. I'd love to hear a bit of it if we could. Yeah, we should listen to maybe VT15. They're all VT1 to VT32 right now. And the ones that made it to the record were... Uh, 12, 15, 7, and some other one. VT15 from Viral Times. This is Jerry Leonard. Check it out.
Jerry, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming out, uh, coming over from Highland and, and sitting and talking about your music and your career. Oh, my pleasure. It's been so nice. I love it here. I love it at the clubhouse. Um, we've made a bunch of records here. We did Donna's record here. Yeah, that's right. But I've, I've, uh, I did some of Suzanne's Queen of Pentacles record here. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did two records with a Spanish artist, Manolo Garcia. I've been on some other sessions but they're sessions that i've brought here we love this studio well it truly is an honor to have you on the show and i hope we get a chance to speak again sometime that would be lovely Rick. now we're not done yet we're going to play one more spooky ghost song only right. because i really like this one as one to take out the show this is also from your record the light machine this is a song entitled circle is a woman this is jerry leonard listen up Thank you.
You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Rusty Johnson. And hey, thanks to Paul Antonell for hosting us here at the clubhouse this evening. Come back next week. and oh, Wait, before you come back next week, click subscribe and then come back next week. And I promise we'll have another talented Hudson Valley artist for you. And we'll see you then. Thank you.